0: i'm kevin de cristofano
1: i'm sean flanagan
0: and we are the ninja turtle nerds your weekly podcast that covers the ninja turtle comics one murderous robot rampage issue at a time how have you been this week sean flanagan
1: i've been good it's been free of murderous robots.
0: Always glad to hear that. I've been reading Ninja Turtle comics, believe it or not. Other than the ones we read on the show, I I decided to randomly just like start. I got in a Mutanimals mood, so I I dug into that old, uh, their old like solo series. Not the original one, but the one IDW did, even though the the Archie comics are pretty good too.
1: There's still no Archie collections or do they do?
0: No, they did. I have one of them. They might have the whole Archie run collected. I don't know if it's still in print. But we're talking about a different continuity of turtles today, Sean. We're going to talk about volume two, where the turtles are not based on a cartoon show. These are the Mirage Turtles. And it's issue four that we're here to talk about today. The story is called Intruders. The cover is by Peter Leard and Kevin Eastman, two important turtle contributors. <laughs> Uh, The Stories by Jim Lawson, Pencils by Jim Lawson, Inks by Jason Temujin Minor, Lettering by Mary Kelleher, Colors by Eric Vinvent in the original, DigiCore Design Limited on the IDW reprint. And this comic came out in April of 1994, so let's spin the wheel, hop in the Wayback Machine, go take a look at April of 1994. Let's see what was going on when this comic came out, shall we? this month in entertainment
1: wheel of morality turn 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 and in april of 1994
0: there were only a few movies that i i saw that were worth noting one of them is based on your life story it's called leprechaun 2 Isn't that the Sean Flanagan story? (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's about the time I ran someone over with a go-kart, because he took me gold.
0: And then there was a movie called Serial Mom.
1: Oh yeah, yep.
0: And I just thought this was worth noting. It's funny, there was a movie called Bad Girls, and I don't know anything about it, but I just thought it was funny that it's not related to Bad Boys. It's not a prequel to Bad Boys.
1: No, it's a Western.
0: Oh, okay. What you gonna do, and so on.
1: It also has nothing to do with Wild Wild West.
0: When I jump into the. So, music from April of 1994. The number one song, April 2nd, was The Sign by Ace of Bass.
1: Ah, the sweets.
0: (laughs) And then the rest of the month it was Bump and Grind by R. Kelly. I don't know the song, I only know it from the Eminem lyric like R. Kelly as soon as Bump and Grind comes on. I'm aware that it is a song of his. I don't know anything about it, but it was apparently number one in April of 94. And then video games, the cover of Nintendo Power was Ken Griffey Jr. Presents Major League Baseball. And then in little text, it said Star Trek The Next Generation. But it's not talking about the show, it's talking about the Super Nintendo game.
1: I'm sure it was thrilling. Because yeah. if there's anything that translates well it's diplomacy and
0: you know <laughs> you know there's a lot of star trek games and i'm i'm not into star trek so maybe I'm, I'm missing this but i've never heard of anyone mention a star trek game as being like one of their favorites of any system <laughs> yeah if there's a good star trek game let us know I'm not, like, against the series. It's just not something I'm super into. I'll play a Star Trek game if you tell me it's good.
1: It's a weird property to do a video game for, especially then.
0: Well, I always think of that NES game, the, you know, Kirk and Spock. They have, like, a really weird, what is that called in video games, like a walk cycle? Like, they walk really weird in that game.
1: What else would Ken Griffey Jr. be presenting? That's funny. They put that on there like they were going to (laughs) go... barbecue backyard contest extravaganza the game
0: yeah sports stars should start like putting their names on sport uh, sports games that they have nothing to do with have you played Mike Tyson's bowling it's awesome <laughs> uh, that would
1: be great <laughs> 10 Griffey Jr. presents water polo
0: Michael Jordan's football
1: Serena Williams unicycle racing,
0: and then uh, TV events from April. I had Nickelodeon celebrates its 15th anniversary. Nick, 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 That's probably Nick, should Nick, say 15 Nick, year anniversary. <laughs> 15 years of Nickelodeon. Doesn't say what they did. April 16th, fresh out the box. Stop looking, watch. Ready yet? Get set. It's all that. All that premieres on Nickelodeon April sixteenth, nineteen
1: ninety four. So if you could see the call listeners, the confusion on my face as he kept going clearly indicates I don't remember all that.
0: Ah, uh, I used to love all that. I was like th- those first few years in particular. Danny Tamborelli, I thought was very funny on it. Obviously, Keenan Thompson has gone on to have a great career. He got his own show. Then he's on SNL
1: hasn't stopped
0: working since all that yeah (laughs) and he's you know he seems like a great guy a friend of mine uh has met him i actually i wasn't there the day keenan thompson was there but he 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 seems like a great guy also he keeps doing like i don't know if it was for the paramount plus network or what but they they filmed like promos about an all that reboot they're doing and he actually showed up to do a sketch where, like, he was pretending to audition for the All That reboot. And I was like, oh, that's that's cool that he doesn't forget where he came from, you know?
1: Let that man have a vacation.
0: <laughs> and then April 24th. So I'm just going to read what this said on Wikipedia because it's probably important to somebody. Barney the Dinosaur makes his commercial network television debut. And it... it There's a really funny thing that they zero in on here that I think nobody cares about. So, (laughs) Barney the Dinosaur makes his commercial network debut. That's all they had to say. And then it says, however, the song I Love You was not sung in the special due to a lawsuit about the song at the time. This explains why I Love You was not used in Barney's Favorites Volume 2 as it uses songs from the spinoff but does not include I Love You. Surprisingly enough, after this special aired, the 1965 film The Sound of Music was also included in the lineup for a family-friendly night of the 90s. So somebody wants to make sure you're very clear that the I Love You song is not in that show.
1: (laughs) Well, Ken Griffey Jr. was not on that show, so I did not watch that special. (laughs)
0: And then April 28th, The Simpsons airs its 100th episode, 600 to go, or 700 to go, who can keep track? The episode, I looked it up, it didn't say it in this, I had to do detective work, because you, you would think like, oh, they aired their 100th episode, it would tell you which episode that was. Nope.
1: Is that thing?
0: <laughs> so when I looked it up, it was Sweet Seymour Skinner's Badass Song, is the name of the episode, and... The title is a parody of the film Sweet, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. It's the episode where Bart brings Santa's little helper to school for show and tell and ends up getting Principal Skinner fired. And then Principal Skinner and Bart become like friends and he gets him rehired at the school. I think that's the same one where, where Ned Flanders is principal for a little bit. Decent episode. And then Saturday Night Live, April 9th, was hosted by Kelsey Grammer. With musical guest Dwight Yoakam. And then nobody got filthy on the monologue this month for the second episode. April 16th was hosted by Emilio Estevez with musical guest Pearl Jam. That might be the most 90s lineup we've had yet.
1: Gordon Bombay and...
0: So that is all the info I have of the time this comic came out. I'm going to beat you to the punch. Oh, you already said it's available in volume 8, right?
1: No, but it's on Comixology and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Classics Volume 8.
0: This cover was the cover I was talking about, I think, when we did Episode 2 of this season, when I said some of these covers are, like, some of my favorite. This is, like, one of my favorite Turtles covers, like, ever. It's a really good cover. It's one of the Ninja Turtles. We know it's Donatello, but you can't really tell. In, like, that tattered... Is there a name for that? It's like a hood with a cape behind it.
1: The poncho?
0: I always associate it with that episode of Batman the Animated Series where there were those kids in the sewer. Uh, and that was, uh, that was what the kid wore when he was like above ground. We see the turtles in this thing a few times.
1: That's the episode where they go, oh no, a leprechaun stole my purse. Yep. <laughs> Offended.
0: Yeah, but we see the turtles wear this thing, and it it's always a win for me. Like, it almost should be their new their new costume. Pick a turtle, have him always wearing this thing. I love it every time. I think we've done issues in the original Mirage series where they wear this, haven't we?
1: I don't think so, because you're really excited about it. And I would remember it if you were like, yeah, the poncho, the scraggly poncho look. I love it.
0: It's not a poncho is like what Luke wears in, in the first Star Wars for a couple of seconds and then George Lucas forgot he was wearing it. This is like a cape with a hood.
1: Say cape, I say poncho.
0: I'm going to Google if this thing's got a term. Cape with hood. Oh my god. Hey, if you want to start a cult, I just found the wardrobe for it. <laughs> This looks like what they wear in, like, Hot Fuzz when they're having their, like, secret meetings. That's the first thing that came up. It's like, this is a robe with a hood, not a cape with a hood.
1: Or stone cutters type deal. Yeah, exactly.
0: All right, so maybe it doesn't have a name. Yeah, so th- th- this is my favorite cover. It just looks really cool. There's a turtle. He's wearing something cool. He's ninja kicking someone. There's a weird, looks like a vampire fish in the background. I'm going to skip ahead a second here. So that fish thing, obviously, it's in the issue because it's on the cover. And I'm wondering if this is supposed to be the same species as that issue way back at the beginning of the first Mirage volume where the like one of them washes up on shore and then the turtles are like trying to help it. And then like three or four like other turtles members of the species come up and, like, fight the turtles. You remember that issue?
1: I do remember that issue, and it's funny because for some reason this creature reminded me of Bloodsucker. Nah,
0: he was, like, a hulking – he had, like, spider eyes. I'm going to disagree.
1: Say why. I just – that's what popped in my head when I saw it. But, no, I I love –
0: They look like The Deep from from Aquaman comics, and they were in the movie – I think so like I hinted at last episode this issue opens with it kind of reminded me of Doomsday from the death of Superman comics so this could be an homage to that because at the beginning of that comic you got the Doomsday monster and he's walking underwater towards Metropolis and that's what you have here is this giant robot is walking underwater towards New York City, I guess. It doesn't really show you. It just shows him underwater heading somewhere. Oh, no. He pulls up a map and you kind of see America. So he's heading on in. And then we cut back to the woods where Donatello and Splinter are. We're going to continue their story a little bit. So that cop from before, he's back and he's in plain clothes now and he's, he's using a telescope to try to spy on the farmhouse. Yeah, anyway, so you would think, because we already gave it away, this is nobody, so he knows the turtles. The character nobody, not this is nobody. That name makes it so hard to talk about this character, and I know they probably did that on purpose. But anyway, this is nobody. Uh, Yeah, he knows the turtles, so you would think he would know that it's probably going to be hard to spy on them from far away. But the story hasn't told us that yet. So Donatello, he sneaks up on this guy. And he starts to fight him because in comic books that's what two characters do when they when they meet up and one of them is spying in secret. You got to fight.
1: I'm pretty sure that's like a secret handshake in comic books.
0: Yeah, and then it, it's it's kind of a cool fight. Like they tumble down a hill. He's wearing that uh, poncho hoodie that you talk you call the poncho. And yeah, I like the part where he's like, uh, I forget which one of you, Picasso. And. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, a good moment. And, you know, it's funny because, like, I feel like that Ninja Turtle joke has been done to death, but at the same time, it still worked for me here.
1: I think that's the first time I've heard that joke.
0: And then Leonardo is exploring the, the city under the city. It's the, the sewers, the the bottomless sewers of New, of New York. This, this is like a video game, a Mega Man level or something. Like, if you get swept up in the waterfall, you're going to fall down an endless pit and die. So, uh, yeah, he's exploring the sewers, and he discovers this female fish creature in in a a pool that's, like, way deep down. And it it surprises her, and it overpowers Leonardo, like, right away. And eventually, uh, this fish thing somehow sticks him to a wall. Yeah,
1: that part's kind of unclear.
0: I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure if the sticky stuff was there and she pushed him into it or if she somehow like Spider-Man style stuck him there.
1: Yeah, because there's no moment where she like shoots something at him.
0: Yeah, but I'm going to guess the sticky stuff was there already and she just kind of smushed him into it. So eventually, Leonardo, he manages to break free and, and he falls into the water and, you know, it's out of the frying pan into the fryer and, is the expression he, he he's immediately greeted by this like giant snapping turtle monster
1: which is a great moment and confusing all at the same time
0: <laughs> and it looks like it's trying to eat leonardo so it's kind of hungry
1: yeah there's no uh no honor among turtles i guess
0: no turtles fight with honor leonardo told me so himself
1: well This turtle did not get the
0: memo. Well, neither did Leonardo because he slices his eye open.
1: That's honorable.
0: (laughs) And the monster kind of chases him from there. And and then Leonardo manages to, you know, get up on some rocks where he just kind of passes out. Yep. Well, he doesn't pass out, but he's like out of breath. And this thing keeps coming after him, keep coming after him. I got to say, out of all the stuff that happens in volume two, this is the least consequential. This, this whole bit, it does not come up again.
1: Big moment, and then they never address it.
0: Well, I have a feeling, I guess we can talk about it now, because it doesn't come up again. Because, like, what are we going to do? Read all 13 issues and then be like, hey, remember back in issue four where there were those sewer mutants? This must have been set up for something that didn't get a payoff because they switched to volume three and went to Image Comics. Like, he must have had a plan for this.
1: I would think so. I mean, it's it's an awesome moment, but it holds no weight. It almost felt like a pre-adventure that they were wrapping up that just, like, got stuck in this issue. And it it does go
0: into next issue. So, I guess out of the 13 issues, it takes up two of them. So, that's not a... You know that's not a small percentage of the story, but also it doesn't really go anywhere. So yeah, Leonardo he he eventually like gets like a, a cave in to happen on this giant turtle. I don't think we've really given the listener scale. This thing is like the size of a house. This snapping turtle.
1: It's in the cavernous abyss of the sewer under New York.
0: Yeah, which apparently also has an ocean. That they can swim in, because every time they dive in water, that is also bottomless as well. Yep. So we see the sea creature thing, and it says, to be continued. Like, they all should, because this is just one story into the next. But
1: This is like one of the rare times they go with that. Because I feel like yeah. volume one, it would have said the end.
0: It said the end, even when it was a part one of two, it would say the end.
1: So kudos to them for finally going to to be continued.
0: And then this issue had a backup story as well in the original printing. It's got a four-page bog swamp demon story. It's called Of Muck and Men, part one of two. It's by Ryan Brown and Matt Roach. It, oh, also with Frank Marino and Tim. Man, did each person take a page? Ryan Brown, Matt Roach, Frank Marino, and Tim Tofili. And it's basically like a swamp page type story. A swamp page. A swamp thing type story.
1: You've been reading that swamp page? love <laughs>
0: that <laughs> uh, I didn't get too into it. I'll, I'll probably take better notes for it next episode because it's another uh, multi-part thing. It, it kind of just looks like they're setting up a swamp thing character here.
1: So all these backups don't seem to really connect to the turtles.
0: Nope. <laughs> not not so far, anyway.
1: Which is weird.
0: Fill in pages.
1: Yeah, but they used to do shorts and things with the turtles.
0: Oh, I think eventually they will. I just don't I, like the first one. The cat was at the facility that Baxter escaped from, so it was like tangentially related.
1: But there's no swamp yet.
0: I think it was supposed to tie into these, like, giant sewer mutants we're looking at. We'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. It's only one more part. So. So this issue.
1: You watch a movie that was only, like, 70 minutes long. There wasn't a lot of dialogue. It was mostly action. There were, like, seven people that wrote it.
0: (laughs) So this issue excluding the short because we haven't really dissected that yet. I gave this one a 4 out of 5 because I feel like this is where the volume starts to kick off into high gear. You know, we got the, the sewer mutants, things are happening, we actually have some action, we fight a giant mutant, we're progressing the story with nobody forward. I could have used some Casey and April. They don't really show up for a while here. But, uh, but other than that, I, I liked it a lot. 4 out of 5.
1: I gave it a four point two because it was just so entertaining. Sped along.
0: It's what Mirage does best. It's there's a an action sequence. They do really great action sequences.
1: I mean I the giant turtle part's great, even though it makes zero sense.
0: And I also really like the stuff that reminded me of Death of Superman.
1: Yeah, I like how they kinda keep building up Baxter as a bigger threat than he was originally.
0: I mean, especially if you're gonna make the reference to Doomsday, like we all know that he is
1: the the thing that killed Superman. I kind of like the moment where Baxter like brings up the map and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can tell he's on a mission that he's not cueing the reader into what the mission's gonna be. Although you've got your suspicions, like you know that's gonna be he's going after April. Like I think I knew the first time I read this what what his mission was gonna be.
1: Really, you didn't get he was returning a book. This is. The high threes, the low fours is where this whole run's going to hover.
0: Oh, I co- yeah, I completely agree. It's it's consistent. It's a line the whole way through. Goes up a little, goes down a little, goes up, but it doesn't plummet. It doesn't soar.
1: Well, it's it's because we're all, you know we're four issues in. There's only thirteen to this particular part, but it's taken me till four to finally get used to the fact that it's going to be continuity. I keep waiting for something like outrageous to happen that derails the whole thing
0: and get ready for super continuity when we get to volume three because like i mean i don't want to give too many of my thoughts away but i kind of feel like that just like that volume hits the ground running it's almost like they tried to do a year's worth of comics and three issues but which wait.
1: would be something they learned from the guest era
0: yeah, exactly. Yep. But anyway, yeah. So this this is a good issue. We highly recommend it. Uh, I think both of us being four or above out of five, it, that that's a recommendation for sure.
1: I feel like this volume two, like again, there's no points where you just kind of find yourself stopping and going. Eh, I'm gonna walk away and go do something else. Like you want to keep reading.
0: Well, yeah, because it's a quick read too. Like you could you could read the. It's only 13 issues. You could read this whole volume in a a sitting. Yeah. So on to our next segment to continue our coverage of the Game Boy Trilogy. We're going to move on to part two here. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Back from the Sewers is the second Game Boy game. It came out in November of 1991 in Japan, and that was the same month as Zelda A Link to the Past, by the way. Here are some other Game Boy games that came out the same month, so... First Mega Man game on Game Boy, Mega Man Doctor Wily's Revenge. Uh, were
1: those separate thing, or were they like Game Boy the, versions of the NES games?
0: Both. <laughs> they were. They had a different story, but they used the same bosses. Okay. So it's like a you know it was a multiverse. <laughs> the the Game Boy Mega Mans were a different universe version of the same Mega Man. They were Ultimate Mega Man. Uh, also, Dick Tracy came out for Game Boy and Double Dragon Two, same month. And yeah, I kind of have the same notes about this game as the last game. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a graphical improvement. I think visually, especially the backgrounds. Like, if if you have the time, take a look at the backgrounds in this game versus Fall of the Foot Clan. They're they're way more detailed in this.
1: I didn't beat this one. This one's significantly more difficult, in my opinion, than Fall of the Foot Clan.
0: I said the same thing.
1: Though it it retains that pick a turtle and that turtle gets captured. I like that. But the moment I really loved was at the beginning, the first level, where there's a pizza shop and Splinter (laughs) throws a pizza out on the street.
0: (laughs) Did you get the bonus stage where you can rescue a turtle?
1: So I get the bonus stage. I was confused why you were fighting Rex.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because he's kind of a good guy character. But what, what happens is I like that it, it, it fits a theme. So like the turtles don't die if your health runs out. They get captured. And then there's a bonus stage where you can basically rescue one of your fallen turtles by, by fighting Rex.
1: I kind of wish that concept was in the original NES game.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: You at least had the opportunity to get them back.
0: And I also like that this game, even though you mentioned it, is a little more difficult. It has unlimited continues, which is something that should have been standard in every video game after like 1990. Like it's just please just give us the unlimited continues. Starting having to start the level over is penalty enough. We don't need to have to start the whole game over. Although that makes the term make sense. Game over.
1: (laughs) I got to the second level where the skateboard is the size of a roller skate. And (laughs) I just had a really hard time lining up hitting stuff.
0: Well, it's funny. The stages don't have names in this. The levels are act one, act two, act three, four, five, and six. I, made, I wrote down basically a, a description, but a lot of them are the same. Like, Act 1, 2, and 3 are all basically city streets. Uh, Act 4 is the sewer. I don't know if that's the titular sewers from back from the sewers. So they go back to the sewers before they're back from the sewers. And then Act 5, you're up in, like, the sky. 6, you're back in the sewers again.
1: A lot of back and forth there to the sewers
0: and the bosses are the same bosses we always see. We got Rocksteady, Bebop, Krang on his little walker machine. Uh, there's a Pizza Monster, sub-boss, that's new. Then we got Shredder, Baxter Stockman, a Stone Warrior, General Tragg, Super Shredder, Krang, and then I guess you can count Rex 1 from the bonus stage. The,
1: the other little touch they added that I like is that the The level screens and the pause screen are like the title cards from the animated show.
0: Yeah. And isn't like, oh, you said you didn't beat this one. I think when you beat the game, it has something else from the show. Yeah, that really surprised me when I started a new game and it looked picture. I mean, it's in black and white, but other than that, it looks picture perfect to the title card from the cartoon show. Like with the Leonardo with his two swords, even though they, they get the mask color wrong a lot on the show. But
1: So I thought that was really cool. I, you I expect to
0: hear dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun.
1: <laughs> yeah, you do, actually. I think the artwork is better, the audio is better. The only case I don't agree with that is I got to Bebop, and he, he looked like a Funko Pop.
0: They they went for it though. Like they went for like not only just improving what the maps look like and, and the enemies and stuff, but even the character animation, you notice when you jump you do like a little flip.
1: Yes, the jump animation was really cool, but you still basically have rubber weapons.
0: Well, they can only do so much on the Game Boy. It's eight bits, Sean. This ain't no Atari Lynx. <laughs>
1: I just love that Leo's katanas are like the sizes of knives and Donatello's bow staff is like half of what the actual staff would be.
0: Oh yeah, his attack looks particularly weird. It looks more like he's poking the enemies than hitting him with the staff.
1: Yeah, I'd definitely give this one a go again and see if I could beat it. But it's nice to see progression too because it only came out...
0: Yeah, like a year later, yeah. So they were really on the the turtle train at this point. They were like, get these things going before kids don't care anymore. And now here we are 30 years later and we still care.
1: (laughs) Yeah. At the time, GamePro gave it a 5 out of 5.
0: That makes sense. I got to say, though, I feel like Game Boy games always looked way better in the magazines than when you actually played them. Yeah. Like, I associate Game Boy and Nintendo 64 and playstation with that was like the era where my my dad was taking me to this flea market every sunday we would go there was like a booth it it had like an indoor section and uh in the indoor section there was a booth where a guy sold video games i don't know where he was getting them they were all like new in the box but he was selling them so i would always get either a playstation or a nintendo 64 or a game boy game as long as it was like 30 bucks or under That was when you'd find the weird, random stuff. I would get a game, and I'd I'd look at the box art the whole ride home. And then I'd I'd open, because I told you I had Nintendo Power back then. Obviously, I'd probably play it if it was a Game Boy game on the way home. But basically, at some point in that week after getting the game, I would look at that month's Nintendo Power or older issues, because I would keep them, and see if I could find the write-up they did on the game. And I feel like it always looked way cooler in the magazine.
1: That's what I find interesting, too, with, uh, I know, as we were recording this, Nintendo Online added N64, and I guess visually they just don't look right.
0: Well, that's because Nintendo 64 did this thing where, with that set of graphics, like the capabilities at the time, you had to do one of two things. And PlayStation and Nintendo had opposite approaches to this. PlayStation just outright embraced the blockiness. They were like, okay, you're going to see all our polygons. You're going to, it's just going to look blocky because that's what we can do. Nintendo went a different route where they tried to smooth the edges by kind of like, I've had it explained in different videos and I'm not a technical guy when it comes to this, but from what I understand, they kind of blurred the games to to make up for the fact that you know they can't really do anything about the the sharp edges because everything's made out of a, a square pixel, so yeah, to get rid of the sharp edges that kind of blurred things, and you couldn't tell on a normal tube television back in nineteen ninety six or ninety eight or whatever, but on today on an HD TV it looks blurry.
1: I just thought that was fascinating how like. These Game Boy games, like I said, like the emulation looks pretty good on an HD TV. Sure it didn't look bad on an actual Game Boy screen, but like I said, like the real estate of that screen compared to like the Switch now. I just can't see being able to play the game on the Game Boy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I said last week too, where like these feel like first generation Game Boy games because the sprite of the Ninja Turtle takes up so much of the screen that you almost can't help but take damage sometimes when like projectiles come in from off screen or, or an unexpected enemy shows up and it's like, and you're, it doesn't give you enough room when you're walking, like you're in the center of the screen. So you always feel like you're kind of pushing the screen rather than scrolling naturally with the level. And, um and yeah, so it's, it is kind of bad in that sense, but again, it's, it's like every first-generation Game Boy game until you get... I mean, we, we just said the first Mega Man came out the same month as this, the Game Boy version. If you look at, like, Mega Man 3, which is down the line, it's a vast improvement on that franchise as well.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I don't think it'll happen, but I'd still like to see a Konami collection of these turtle games.
0: Yeah, that would be really cool. I'd like to see a collection of any of the turtle games, like any random ones. Put like the GameCube one, the Game Boy Advance one, and like all the ones that were based on the 2003 series. Make that a collection.
1: Yeah, there was four of those?
0: There were two on the Game Boy Advance, and I think there were at least two on the GameCube. So yeah, that would be four. Okay. I have one of them up in the attic. It's very repetitive, but still fun. (laughs) <laughs> it's like a beat-em-up, but it, like, you know, you get kind of sick of just doing the same moves over and over again. Which, it's weird that Turtles in Time never gets like that, you know? It's like, you're, you're just hitting the same buttons, but for some reason, that one, you don't get sick
1: of it. If I realized Mutants in Manhattan was going to be so hard to find now, I would have got it when it came out.
0: Is it hard to find? I got that.
1: It's really hard to find now.
0: Oh, I'll have to hold on to my copy then. Exhausted from your last shouting match with a total stranger online about some pointless and ultimately meaningless facet of a video game, the art of conversation is dying, killed by a million faceless warriors just trying to get their dunks in. Rather than enable our nobler social behaviors, social media has created new wastelands where real conversation is almost impossible. This is why we have podcasts like Magecast, the weekly podcast for conversationalists in a world where we've already stopped listening to each other. I'm the Wulbright Mage and I feature a different game and a different guest each episode with a focus on exploring intrinsic qualities and extrinsic contexts. It's a podcast about elevating the conversation in a content format that actually has a chance. So forget responding to the rando who called you a scrub and join the real conversation. Magecast, the community-driven podcast for conversationalists, is available everywhere that podcasts are enjoyed. Good news, everyone. So I'm sure when we started talking about putting these games into a collection, a lot of you had the same thought. The Cowabunga Collection. Well, at the time we recorded this episode, they hadn't even announced Cowabunga Collection was even a thing yet, never mind the countdown to the release date that went on seemingly forever. So we didn't know at the time of this recording that they were going to be releasing a collection. But if you're listening to this show and you don't know, good news for Sean, who was saying that Back to the uh, back from the sewers is hard to find now. There's a Cowabunga collection coming out and they just announced the release date for it. It's going to be coming out August 30th of this year, 2022 for pretty much every system. So, you're going to be able to get all these great turtle games in one collection. I think it's going to be about $40. And I got a list here. Here we go. If you haven't heard of this, listen to all the great games that are going to be included. We got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Arcade, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Turtles and Time, so the two arcade games. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the NES game, the original one. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, the arcade game, so the NES version of the arcade game. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, the Manhattan Project, the game where our show logo this season comes from. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Tournament Fighters, NES. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4, Turtles in Time, SNES. So the Super Nintendo version of the arcade game. Which, in my opinion, is... Uh, after playing a lot of my one-up arcade machine, I think the Super Nintendo version is actually kind of better. Obviously the arcade one looks better, but I think the Super Nintendo one's got better game... Better... There's more stuff. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Tournament Fighters... The Super Nintendo version and the Sega Genesis version is going to be in there. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Hyperstone Heist, which was Sega's answer to Turtles in Time. That's going to be on there. They're very similar games, but definitely different games. And the three Game Boy games we're covering here on Ninja Turtle Nerds. So last episode, we talked about Fall of the Foot Clan. That's going to be on there. This episode, we were talking about Back from the Sewers. That's going to be on there. Sean mentioned it's hard to find. Not anymore. It's in this collection. And then Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 Radical Rescue, the third Game Boy game, is also going to be on there. This is going to be on PlayStation. It's going to be on Xbox. It's going to be on Switch. It's going to be on PC. So definitely, definitely awesome news that has dropped since we recorded this episode. And that's about all we have for this week. Thank everybody for listening. Thank all of our Patreons for supporting us. If you want to help support us, go over to Patreon. We're trying to get that Patreon up so that we can actually start giving away gift cards. If we can get our Patreon up to $50 a month, we're going to start giving out gift cards once a month to our listener. Or I should say gift card. We're going to give one away every month. We're going to raffle it off to all our Patreons. And we've got bonus episodes dropping soon. This should be coming out sometime in august so oh and next week is august that next episode is august 1st so that'll be when we thank our patreons if you if you contribute at the one or three dollar mark you get a special thank you so look out for that and we will see you all next week bye The Ninja Turtle Nerds is a fan-supported podcast. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash tmntnerds. If you'd like to see images of the comics we discussed in this episode, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at tmntnerds. Have a question or comment for us? You can email us at tmntnerds at gmail.com. And if you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much for listening.